Hey, Crossroads fam, glad that you're here with us. If you're new to Kenny Crossroads, what we do each week is we try to take the message that God spoke to us on Wednesday night and take it into a podcast so maybe someone else might be able to receive the message that God's put on our heart. Uh, Tonight, we jumped into the first uh, series of 2019. Very excited about the direction God's taking us, and the series is called Take the Steps. Uh, if we are trying to achieve to be the successful Christian God's called us to be, there are steps that we've got to take. There's not a golden elevator. It's not something someone else can do for you. It's steps that you're going to have to take to become the successful Christian God's called you to be and God's created you to be. And so what we did at, at Crossroads is we just looked at the very first step to become the successful Christian God's called us to be. Uh, Glad that you're here with us. Hopefully, uh, God will speak to you during this time. And as always, welcome to Crossroads. God has called you to be. And one of the things that, of course, we have found is that for us to achieve greatness at anything, it is not based on strictly our own ability, that there are things, there are people that have to help us out to achieve the greatness that we should be. But we also understand that God's not called us to be a life of mediocrity. He's called us to have an abundant life. An abundant life is not a life that's lived in seclusion. It's not a life that's lived uh, holding back. It's a life that is lived to the fullest. And so what we're going to be talking about tonight, of course, is going to be five steps that we're going to look at. And every study, thank you, sir. Every study is not going to have a five with it, but it just worked out that way tonight. But it's five steps on what it means to be a Christian. Because we understand the first thing that we have to do, thank you, sir, to become a successful Christian is to obviously be a Christian. That is a thank you, Captain, obvious statement, but that's something that we do need to keep in consideration because you can't achieve greatness in anything unless you're a part of what it is. And so that step in becoming a Christian, we would say, uh, in essence, it is not the hardest thing in the world for you to become a Christian, but what we got to understand is that there are steps that take place for you to become a Christian. First, there has to be an admission of sin. I think each person in here would probably admit that they have sinned at some point in their life. There are many of you right now that are thinking, hey, I've sinned 28 times since I've been in here. Whatever it is, it works in your world. But I want you to understand that there has to be a time in your life, if you want to follow Christ, there has to be an admission of sin. It's not one of these, oh, I'll do it, you know, yeah, you're right. You have to admit that you're the one, that the sin that is in your life is not based on what anyone else has done. It's based off of a choice that you've made. And when you make that assumption, or not assumption, when you make that conclusion, when you come to that place and you admit that you're a sinner, that's one of our first steps that we're taking in becoming a Christian. And becoming a Christian doesn't mean you're doing this because your friends are. It doesn't mean you're doing it because you're pressured into it. Because what that's going to end up doing is giving us a false sense of faith. There are many people, and I don't say this slightly because I understand fully. There are many people that at a very young age make a decision for the Lord. And as they get older, they realize, you know what? I didn't really know what it was all about. And there's nothing. I don't want you to think there's anything wrong with you coming to that conclusion. I know many people that made a decision when they were young, very young, and they've been rock solid the whole time. But there are times that we come to that realization that, you know what? I said words, but I really didn't know what it meant. I didn't mean it from my heart. I did it because someone else was doing it. In working with teenagers for the last 812 years, I have seen many times that you would have students go down and make a profession of faith at every conference. And I would sit down with them, all right, what what are we here for? I just want to give my heart to God. Didn't you do that last year? Well, yeah, but I didn't mean it. All right, so what about this time is for real? There has to be a time that that admission comes and there's a genuine desire in your heart to change. And not to change just so you can maybe get out of trouble 
You all at some point have said yes to a question knowing that if you said no, you were going to get in trouble. You all have done that. Guys, you will do that a lot. You like what I'm wearing? <laughs> yes, I does. It is beautiful. <laughs> and that keeps you out of trouble a lot of times. My wife don't even ask me. She says, I don't care what you think, okay? I'm going to be me, okay? You just sit over there in your little fat cocoon and just deal with it, all right? So there are times that we come to that place where we fully believe and we want to change our life. And that's the step that we, once we admit that we come to Christ and we say, I can't take care of this. The dirt that's in my life, the sin that separated me from you, I can't fix. And I want you to come in and fix it. And then there has to be a change that happens in our life. We admit it. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He died on the cross for our sins. To pay the price for our sin, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. So through that gift of Jesus Christ, that eternal life that He has, He gives to us. And one day when our time on earth is done, then eternity is ours with God. That admission goes to a confession. That confession comes to, I believe that you are the Son of God. And that you, you're the only thing that can take away my sin. But then there has to be a change in our life. And I think that's one of the hardest parts for many people to get, is there has to be a change. And then once there is that change, then we enjoy the fellowship of Christ. But I want you to understand that that's not where the life of a Christian ends. In working with evangelism for years, we are taught on how to lead people to Christ. And over the past 10 or 15 years, I've really been burdened because I've seen so many people led to Christ and then they're gone. And my question comes back to, was it a genuine decision or are we just not equipping people once they make that decision? And I think a lot of times the equipping of the saints, what we're supposed to do to help new Christians grow in their faith is a place where we as the church have missed out a lot, not just West End Baptist Church, but the church in general. And I think a lot of times it comes back to the fact that our belief has got to be bigger. As a child, like many of you, I would find myself pushing my mother to her limits. I know you would find that hard to believe, but I did. And it wasn't that I was a terrible kid. It wasn't that I was, I was just mischievous. I was country rambunctious. And I would want to see how far I could get. Just like many of you, if your mom says, don't you get off that porch, you go, okay. And you dangle your toes off. I'm not off the porch. Right? We had a, a little rock wall at my granny's house, and granny would come out and say, Don't y'all get off it. Don't get off it. Yes, ma'am. But it never failed. One of the grandkids would get off. And all of a sudden, as soon as they stepped off, it's like there was an alarm on the ground because granny would come out and she'd go ripping pecan limbs off and beating anybody close. My mother grew up under granny. So my mother's country mean. And she would tell me this statement, I'm going to make a believer out of you. And she would. A lot of times it was with a belt. Sometimes it was with a frozen chicken, <laughs> whatever she had in her hand. Yeah. But my mother, she would say that statement. She would say, you better do this. And if you don't, I'll make a believer out of you. And I go, okay. And if I didn't do whatever it was that she had told me to do, after I was able to catch my breath from where she had whipped me, it wasn't spanking. It was whooping. Mama came, hey, chief. Mama come in hard with that belt. And once she said, I'm going to make a believer out of you, she made a believer out of me. And when I became a believer in what my mother said, it changed. It changed something about me. 
And the thing is, is once we get to that place where we believe God is who he says he is, there has to be a change within us. And when that change comes within us, that's not the end either. There are steps that we're going to take to achieve the greatness God has called us to be in. But it doesn't just happen. The first step we're going to look at tonight is making it public. And I want you to understand that when you say that statement, making it public, you would normally hear that from a pastor. You would hear from a youth pastor. And the majority of the time, a decision like that is made towards the end of a service when there is the invitation. When the invitation is given for people to come down to the front, that is known as a public profession of your faith. And yes, 100%, if God has touched your life, there are 600 plus people out there, every 500 plus, 300 plus, 800 plus, whatever church you attend. There are people that want to celebrate that decision with you, and they can't celebrate that decision if you're not making it public. But there are other ways for you to make that public. One way that you can make that public is when you are with your friends. And this is not for you to stand on the hood of your car and go, y'all going to hell? (laughs) You got to turn and burn. It's not about that. It's about when you're in those conversations that you know you shouldn't be listening to, that you shouldn't be a part of, you find a way to excuse yourself from that. That's a way to make your decision public. And the majority of the time, nobody's going to call you out and say, oh, what are you doing? But if they do, that gives you that opportunity. And it's not that we choose to be away from that because we're better than anyone, because I don't know about you, but I stink at being a Christian a lot of times. But I know that there are boundaries that were set that I don't need to approach. I don't need to dangle my toes off in a conversation sometimes. I don't need to dangle my toes off and listen to what's on the radio sometimes. I don't need to watch what's on the internet. I don't need to be in certain groups. There are certain places that I don't need to go because God has done something in my life. It's not that I feel I'm better. It's because God has given me desire to be better. And for me to elevate myself where I need to, I've got to separate myself from the things that are going to pull me down. That's a way that we can make this decision public. And you have no idea. There might be one of your dearest friends that's just waiting for someone else to be strong enough to say no. And they're going to follow right behind you. One of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen is watching the Billy Graham Crusades when I was a child. And Billy Graham would get finished with his sermon. And he would just spit fire for an hour and a half. And no one would move. And he'd say, would you not come to the altar? And the people would just flow. And it never ceased to, to, to amaze me that they would show a camera and you would see one person stand up and start to move and the person sitting beside them would look as they're walking and you would just see it in their eyes like, I need that too. Sometimes you're the one making yourself public as a Christian that's going to help someone else. I know that there are students here that have reached out to people because of the love God has put in their heart and it has made a difference in someone else's life. That's what God is calling us to do. He's not calling us to polish our halo and sit it on the, on the shelf every week. We're supposed to wear that battle gear that he gives us, that full armor of God. We're supposed to wear that daily. And as we wear that, we're going into battle. And one of the greatest things we can do in battle is to retreat when we need to, but also be bold enough to stand when we have to. Making that decision public. So that's the first thing that we need to do. The second thing that we want to do, if we're wanting to become the Christian we want to be, and I don't know about you, but I hate being average. I don't like being considered like everyone else. That's why I'm a Tennessee fan, because I didn't want to be an Alabama fan. I didn't want to be an Auburn fan. I wanted folks to feel sorry for me, so I was a Tennessee fan. Yeah? I didn't want to be like everyone else. Everyone else that did certain things, I wanted to do something else. That's why I lifted weights for so long, because there weren't a whole lot of people lifting weights. I love doing that. Because it made me different. I guess now that I've got kind of reddish and white, I don't know. It's different. I'm okay with it. So, and Jessica's not, but it's okay. So she's stuck. 
But I don't want to be average. And for us not to be average, we're going to have to work to achieve greatness. And the greatness is not based on a pat on the back that we might get from someone. It's from a total commitment and full surrender to Christ. That's what greatness is. The greatest people that you will ever hear of, once you get to heaven and you're having the discussions for eternity with people, they're not going to be people that you've seen on TV. They're going to be people that were in the background doing mighty works for God and never being told thank you, never getting a pat on the back. Most of you did not come Sunday night and you missed out on one heck of a movie. Mully was a tremendous story of a millionaire, a guy who worked from poverty, who his family left to go find a place to live and left him there. And he walked around for a couple years trying to find people that would help him out. He became a street boy is what it was called. And then he went to to this place and he started working for this family who was, uh, they were a wealthy family. He started working for them and before long he became a manager. Before long he realized that people need to get from point A to point B. And he started a taxi service with a little beat up truck. Before long he's got a whole fleet of vehicles. And he ends up becoming a millionaire. And he walks into his family one night and he says, hey, I've got some news. How was your day? How was your day and he goes around I think they had seven kids and he went around to each kid how was your day and the children were telling the story and daddy would come in every day and he would say how was your day and we would oh our day is wonderful and they would just talk and talk and talk and they just loved that time because every night they would sit down as a family and daddy would ask specifically how each one of them were and how their day went and when he got finished with that he says I have news for you all I will never work again and we are selling what we have to help orphans. And it showed him walking through the streets and he would walk up to these shanties that were built and it was just broken doors or pieces of pallets and he would squat down and he'd go, oh, oh, and a little kid's hand would come out and he would take that orphan to his house. And the first time he walked in with three children and his wife looked at him with her hand on her hip like, what do you expect us to do? He says, we are to care for these children. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children that he ends up taking care of. You're not going to see that on the news. But there are millions of people just like that that have made tremendous differences. They are the ones that you're going to hear about. That's a successful Christian. That's one that is following Christ, not for the accolades, but because there is a desire to be Christ-like. So we make our decision public. And then we study who God is. Of course, we we harp on you all the time. You need to have a quiet time. You need to read God's Word. But there's a reason that we say that all the time. Because God's Word was not just written to be a historical book. It is written as instruction and love to us. Thousands of years ago, it was written and preserved so we would have that guidance today. How many of you have had homework this year? Okay. Some of you probably did, but I didn't do it. What's up? We got many teachers in here. Teachers, why do you give homework? Because we're mean. Because we're mean. That was my wife. Thank you. I don't give homework, so I'm good. Okay. Do any teachers give homework? Y'all are failing. You're supposed to give them te- homework. I don't do it. Yeah. Do what? I don't do it. They don't do it. Hey, it sounds like being a youth minister. Anyway, the reason you're giving homework is because they want you to learn, of course, but also because they don't have enough time to teach you everything you need to know. There are things that they're going to teach you in class that's going to help you, but there's further knowledge that you need to get. And it's something that takes place outside of the classroom. 
studying who God is is the same way. The five, the five hours that we ask you to be a part of what God does here on a weekly basis is wonderful. But in five hours, we can't give you enough instruction. You need to be sitting time alone with your, with your Bible and sitting down and studying who God is. Finding out depths of what He is that we don't have time to get into on a night like tonight. To find that straight-A student, at times you're going to have to study a little extra, more so than what you did right inside the parameters of your classroom. I talked to Isaac Graham a couple weeks ago. He was back. And I said, Isaac, have you had any trouble with school? Isaac made a 33 on his ACT, so I imagine his answer would be no. And he went, well, I've had to study a good bit. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, it's weird. I never studied in high school. But I had to study some. He said, it's, it's different, Brother Kenny. I said, what's different about it? He said, well, one, there's more than like 12 people in my class. And he said, two, uh, the teachers don't care. They don't care if you're in class. They don't care if you, if you pass a test or if you fail a test. It's strictly up to me to achieve the grade. I have to work for it. And he said, I have found myself actually having to sit down and to, to, to close myself off from everyone else and study what I know I needed to. And I said, well, why are you doing that? And of course, the answer you know, he gave me was much nicer than what I would have said. He just kind of looked at me and said, because I want to be the best. I want to study hard so I can do my best. Many of you are athletes. You do more than just what's done at practice, I'm sure. My son will juggle a ball through the house all night. Many of you will go outside and you will throw balls, you know, baseball with your family. You'll run pass routes. Uh, those of you that are in blast, how many are in blast? Just curious. Okay. Have you sung the song that you're singing other than the time you were at practice? Why? You want it to sound good. You want it to sound good. You want to do it right. You want it to be done to your best ability. You don't want to get up there and go... <laughs> Yeah. And sing like me, right? You want it to be on point. Dancers, have you practiced your routine off the stage? Yes. Why? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Maggle's like, heck yeah, man, I practice. I'm not even in it, but when I get there, boy, it's mine. We practice these things because we want to be our best. We want to be our best, but there are times that we find ourselves being slackers, and we're like, I know I want to be better, but I just not today. I talked to my cousin. He's diabetic, too. And as we were talking, he said, well, Kenny... I saw you walk in with that broccoli the other day, and I thought, you know what? I'll just be diabetic because I ain't going to eat that mess. And I said, well, but it's helping me out. I said, I, I, it wasn't broccoli. It was zucchini and squash and asparagus. But you know what? It's helping me out. It's getting my blood sugar down. He said, yeah, but, you know, I know I need to, but, heck, I ain't got no family. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, if I die, ain't nobody going to really miss me. I was like, shut up. You're a custodian of West End. We're going to miss you. No, not just that. We love you, cuh. And he was like, nah, I'm just playing. He said, I just, my willpower ain't near as strong as my eye power. He said, I lost my vision about two years ago. He said, but I can still see a cheeseburger. And it looks, it looks a lot better than that squash. You know, you're right. A lot of times we know what we want, but there are times that we don't. We don't work to get there. 
And we know that there's something inside of us. Once we make that surrender, that surrender to Christ, once we become a follower of Christ, we want to know more about who he is. I can't explain to anyone who he is if I don't know who he is. I can't learn a subject unless I've studied the subject. And if I'm going to be the Christian that I'm supposed to be, then I need to study who Christ is. When Paul tells us to be Christ-like, what does that mean? Well, I've got to study the virtue of who Christ is so I can understand it. I've got to study God. And it's more than just sitting down and reading his scripture. It's more than just a magic grab. It's actually digging in and seeing why it says what it says. And then once we do that, our time in communication with God through prayer. That's a critical point of studying who God is. Because you will find that once you have made that surrender and that change takes place in your life, you find yourself desiring to speak to God. And one of the hardest things for a lot of people to do is to speak and not get an immediate response. But God wants to hear our voice. Just as a father holding a newborn wants that baby to cry so he could hear that voice. Just as, as, a, as a, a parent whose child is going off to college desires to hear that voice. I listened to two women talking the other day, and one of the ladies said to the other one, I hadn't talked to mom in about six months. I guess I ought to call them. And I was like, I can't imagine spending that kind of time not speaking to my family. <clears throat> Having that conversation, sitting down and talking to God, getting it off your chest. I challenged a lady the other day. She was talking to me about some things going on in her life. And I said, do you journal? And she, she said, no, but I should. And I said, you really should. I said, I carry that little gray book around with me. And when I'm frustrated, I write it down. One, because I can't really say what goes on in my head because I am trying to be Christ-like. Two, uh, I work at West End Baptist Church, and if I tell a lot of folks what I think, I would get fired yesterday. So I've got to be, you know, better than I want to be at times. But three, there are times that I can write out things that I can't verbalize. Because have you ever just been to that place where you just go, I'm sure I'm not the only one. You might make different sounds, but there's been times that you like, <laughs> And somebody goes, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I really want to break something. And then when I hear that, I'm like, okay. And I step away because I don't like being broke. But there are times that we just don't know how to say it, but we'll find ourselves writing before long. You've got four, thing, four pages written out of what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind. It's a great way for you to get it out. But also as you're writing that, it becomes a prayer that you're sending to God. That communication with God. And meditating on what His Scripture says. As you are studying His Word, not just read it, but truly meditate on what it means. And that's not going up to the top of a mountain with the Dalai Lama and sitting there with all legs all crossed doing some of that. It's sitting there, God, what is it that you're wanting me to get from this? And the beautiful thing about that, the beautiful thing about what circles could be, is if every person were to read the Scripture that's pointed out for them to read each week, Every person is going to hear a different message from God. And that's one of the most beautiful things about Scripture is it speaks to your need. And then once I share my need with, with Cole, then Cole shares his need with me, and then Carrie shares his need, what he's hearing from God, what he needed to hear from God. And we all get a different picture of what God is saying through His Word. That's studying what God is. And the beautiful thing is when you study God, it's the most fulfilling thing in the world. I took algebra in high school. I'm a youth minister. I don't do algebra in real life. 
my son came to me. I don't know what grade y'all start learning in algebra, but he walked in and there were letters at the end of numbers. And I was like, pass. I'm done. I'm, I'm tapping out. Jessica, I hope you know how to do this because I am done. And she, fortunately, she knows how to do that. He, he knows how to do it, you know, so whatever. But studying algebra didn't give me a, oh, I feel so much better that A times B equals Q, <laughs> Q pizza lasagna. Oh, this feels great. But when I study who God is and I see what his promises are, and I understand that God says that he would never leave me or forsake me, that he says that he loves, his love for me is so great that he allowed his son to die so I might spend eternity with him, that his, his forgiveness covers my sin, that the worst thing that I've been in my life, the worst things that I've done in my life, when I read that he says, I will forgive you, oh, that's knowing who God is. So our first step is, is we make it public. Then we study God. Our third step is that we memorize Scripture. That's why I gave you this. And each week you're going to have a power verse that we're wanting you to memorize. Now from the time you were a child, you memorized things. When was the last time you sang Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star? Today? Today? When I woke up? All right, so we're going to hit it, right? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Stop. <laughs> That's the remix. Come on. Bip, bip. How did you learn that song? <clears throat> Do what? You know, I, it just happened, Kenny. I got it like that, man. I just know things, all right? No, you heard it time and time and time and time. And, again, it was, it was, I don't know. I mean, it was played a lot. You sung it a lot. It was on every TV show you watched as a child. You heard Barney singing. You heard some cartoon characters sing it. You've heard every person in the world sing it. It is something that you've heard time and time again, and you got to the place where you just memorized it. Those of you that have lockers. You memorize, you memorize the, the combination. And if you don't, then you look on the bottom of your shoe where you carved it. <laughs> Whatever. You memorize things. From the time you were a little bitty kid, you've been memorizing things. How to tie your shoe. Something as simple as that. Twinkle, twinkle, little star won't get you too far in life, but knowing how to tie your shoe is beneficial. Because <laughs> at some point, you're going to try to walk. And if that shoelace is not tied, you're going to lose a shoe or you're going to break a hip. Something's going to happen. There are things that you've learned in life that's beneficial, and you learned how to do it because you memorize the pattern that, that has to take place. You memorize exactly what you need to be doing. There are things that you have learned how to do. And the thing that's going to carry you further than anything else is knowing what God says. It's in these times that we're in struggle, that, that the weight of the world is on our shoulders, that we need to hear what God says, and we need to remember what His promises are. Memorizing Scripture is a beautiful way to do that. When Christ was approached by Satan in the desert, and He says, hey, I tell you what, look down here, and you know, that whole place is going to be yours. All you got to do is, is uh, make me your Savior. Christ spit Scripture at him. When he said, you ain't eating 40 days, man, let me go. And you look at the rocks down there, we're turning into bread. You go, it's like Panera down there. You're going to love it. He said, man, don't live by bread alone. Every time Satan would come to him, he quoted scripture. Now, you might say, well, that's easy. He's Jesus. You're right. He is Jesus and you're not. But he didn't have this book sitting in front of him and you do. You have the opportunity to memorize exactly what Christ said. 
You have the opportunity to, when you're under attack, have that scripture in your mind because you have put it close to your heart and you have memorized it. And that's what we're going to be doing through this. But that's one of the steps in becoming the Christian we should be because people will have questions. People are going to have questions, and you might not have all the answers, but because you have knowledge of what the Bible is, you might be able to lead them to the answer. Memorizing Scripture is critical in your growth in Christ. Now, you might be content with fire insurance Christianity, but I just have to wonder, is that true Christianity if the only thing you're concerned about is not going to hell? Because when I try to become Christ-like, my greatest concern is not just about me not going there, but making sure anyone I come into contact doesn't go there either. And one way I can do that is by memorizing what God says. So I would have it when I need it. We make our decision public. We study who God is. And studying who God is, we end up reading His Word, and that becomes something that we memorize. Memorizing His Scripture. And then do more. Our fourth step is to simply do more. Again, God's not called us into mediocrity. He didn't save us to be average. It's not that He saved you so you could be a rock star, so that you would have all the notoriety in the world, but He's called you to be more. There's this guy I watch on YouTube. His name's Casey Neistat. He makes really good videos. He's very, very knowledgeable. It seems like everything. But as I watch his videos, uh, one day he's doing something with his arms. I was like, he's got, so, I mean, he's got tattoos. And he, it says, do more on his arm. And I was like, man, it looks like his child did that. But it was his own handwriting, and he, he wrote it down and gave it to the guy, and the guy tattooed it on his arm. And they asked him, you know, when he got his ink done, he said, so what does this mean? He said, it means to do more than just what everybody else do. To do more than just what everyone else is going to do. To be more than what I've ever tried to be before. He said, I don't think I was born just to be plain old me. I think there's greatness out there, and I feel like I'm supposed to achieve it. Now, his idea of achieving it has nothing to do with Christ. But that concept of doing more, of being more, because it's really easy to be content with who we are. It's really easy to just be satisfied with what we are. But I think if there's a desire for us to be Christ-like, obviously none of us have achieved that yet. So there should be a push for us to do more, to achieve more for Christ, to try to become more than just average. Anyone can just live a life, but not everyone can live an extraordinary life. And that extraordinary life comes through a surrender to Christ, and it causes you to do more. You will find yourself, when you are in that entire relationship with God, finding reasons to go and do more, to try to help others out. Uh, Jessica and I watch NCIS. That's our show. We've always loved it. And then there's different ones. And we were watching one about Los Angeles the other night. And there's a dude and a chick. They're going to get married. And they're trying to plan their honeymoon. And as they're getting ready to plan, this has nothing to do with Christ on the TV show. But when I heard it, I was like, that's a beautiful example. And they're trying to plan their honeymoon. And everywhere they're planning, it's during spring break. And everything's going to be packed or whatever. Oops, something happened to the camera. So uh, I wanted to finish up this these last couple of minutes in this message. Just because I feel like somebody needs to hear uh, what's been said. Uh, or what God was saying to me during this Time, but uh, Kenzie and Deeks, they're they're looking for their honeymoon place to go, and they realize that 
excuse me, everywhere that they're looking for revolved around them. And so they got to that place where they realized, you know what, we want to do something different. And so they decided they were going to Peru. And as soon as they said, uh, we're going to Peru, one of the other casts, they, they look at him and say, oh, so you must be going to Machu Picchu. And they said, no, we're going to an orphanage to work with children. And even though the, the show itself is not about Christ, when I heard that, it was a beautiful example of when Christ comes into your life, when you make that surrender to Christ and He becomes your Savior because of your desire to make Him your Savior, Savior um, something changes within you. And, you know, I've said before that uh, you take off the me-colored glasses and start looking through God-colored glasses, and you realize that doing more is more than just doing things to try to make myself more. Uh, It comes back to doing things to make God great through you, meaning you're doing things to help others. You're reaching out. You're looking for ways that you can be more Christ-like in serving others. And that's the do more. So we've looked, and I'm sorry it's been a couple of hours since I gave this message, but we looked at we've got to first become a Christian. And then once we become a Christian, we, we make it public. We share either, uh, we share hopefully both in our church, but also in our circle of friends, circle of uh, peers that we're around on a daily basis. Uh, we also uh, study God, look into His Word, see who He is, spend time in prayer and communication with Him, and in meditation and listening for what God would say to our heart over the, the messages that we've read through His Word. Um, and once we do that, then we memorize Scripture. Critical part in our life, and something I think a lot of folks take for granted is that, well, I can just look it up in the Bible. But what if there comes a time where you lose your eyesight? Uh, my father lost his eyesight. He, he developed macular degeneration, and he couldn't read anymore. And it was so beautiful to sit there and listen to him quote scripture that he had memorized. And I'm not just talking about uh, Jesus wept. I'm not, we're talking about passages of scripture that he would quote. And it's because he found the value in knowing God's word. So we memorize scripture, then we do more with what God is doing in us. And then the last thing that that I think we really need to do to to help us take this first step in becoming the Christian, we should be is to embrace the fact that we are God's and that He is ours. Uh, God uh, loves us. And that's something that we've got to understand is that His love for us is greater than anything imaginable. We all enjoy being on teams. And as a child, if you were uh, playing kickball, there was always you know the two teams and you would look as they're selecting players and you would see the team you wanted to be on because you knew they were the better team. And if you by chance got selected to be a part of that team, such a special feeling. And it's not one of these, you know, just, I don't really know how to explain it. You know what it's like. You're just like, man, I'm part of it. There's something about being part of the team. Uh, And there's something about being a part of the team that God selects. God wishes all of us to be part of his family. Uh, I believe that's why it says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This salvation is for anyone and everyone that is willing to accept him as their Savior, that is willing to make the changes that have to happen in their lives, allow God to change us as well. Um, And when you're part of his team, uh, there's something extremely special about it. And it's one of those things that I can't really truly explain what the feeling is like because you have to experience it yourself. Uh, if if a, a lady is engaged, uh, when the guy asks her, he goes back to his friends and he goes, well, uh, I asked Jessica to marry me. If her name's Jessica. If it's not Jessica, it wouldn't work. But for me, it was Jessica. And I went back to my friends and I go, well, I asked Jessica to marry me. And they go, really? And I go, yeah. Okay. 
and that's the extent of it for guys. But for girls, it's like, he asked me to marry her, and they go, oh! and they all inhale, and the ceilings and walls close in, then they exhale, and it blows back out, and then they all start doing this little squeal thing that women do, and then before long, they're sitting in a circle, and it's kind of like um, on the movie Grease, where Sandra Dee's singing the song, and they're all going, tell me more, tell me more. That's what it's like. They want to know all the details, um, and they, they get the visual of what it would be like, but until they experience it themselves, it's not really going to make sense. But once it does make sense, the specialness of being a part of that is something that you can't get over. And even in my worst times, even in the hardest times, whether it was losing my parents, whether it was uh, watching my students struggle, and the struggle is real in, in teenagers' lives, watching that take place, there was still something I had a piece And it comes back to that embracing the fact that I am part of God's family and that He is mine. That's the first step that we're taking in becoming the Christian we should be. Of course, the first thing above all is you must become a follower of Christ. But that's not where it ends. That's just the beginning. Thanks for being a part of today's podcast. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us through our social media. Uh, go to KennyCrossroads.com and you can find links to all my social media. Or, hey, just stop by and send me sometime. West End Baptist Church in Clanton, Alabama. Or you can come on a Wednesday night to Crossroads. Love for you to come be a part of what God's doing here. And again, thank you for being a part of Crossroads.